Hey there. As the holiday season rings in, Are We Europe presents All Rights. All Rights is a podcast about what traditions and customs across Europe mean to us. To support us, consider becoming a member. It's easy. Just go to areweeurope.com slash member and choose the option that suits you best. That's areweeurope.com slash member. Here is All Rights. It's Boxing Day in Gravesend, England in 1991. I'm eight years old and I'm terrified. We're standing in the car park of the Three Doors pub, surrounded by ruddy adults enjoying the warm glow of mulled wine. As children, we stand like fattened geese, made docile by the sheer volume of pigs in blankets and turkey we'd consumed the day before. But in place of yuletide alcohol consumption, we stand in woolly hats and scarves, shivering not only because of the cold, but as a result of the Christmas custom unfurling in front of us. The traumatic tradition of Morris dancing. There's an old saying usually attributed to Sir Thomas Beecham, which states, you should try everything once, except incest and Morris dancing. And witnessing the ancient ritual dance on that cold December day, I couldn't agree more. Morris dancing originates back to the 1400s and is a customary folk dance now mostly associated with pagan festivities such as May Day and Solstice. To my mind, it's the only dance where the participants wield something. Be that sticks, swords, a set of jangly bells or even handkerchiefs? The dance itself involves a lot of high-stepping, stick-hitting and rhythmic jangling of bells in time to medieval folk music. In my experience, it's often accompanied by shouts, whoops and the consumption of alcohol. Morris dancing is now seen as a quaint English custom, but beneath the surface and the ambiguous history, there's more to this time-honoured dance than just weaponised hankies. Since childhood, I've always been fascinated with what makes up a tradition. Why do we put 5p pieces in the Christmas pudding? When did parents start forcing children to participate in the bizarre edging practice that is past the parcel? Why are most customs so inherently exclusionary? In the 21st century, where segregation and insular politics are once again shaping the communities we live in, there's never been a more vital time to look to our past. COVID-19 has forced us to change our routine. And it's time we understood where we come from and why we do the things we do just because that's the way they are done. In the words of L.P. Hartley, the past is a foreign country. They do things different there. Welcome to All Rights. This show explores traditions and customs across Europe and asks, is this okay? I'm Sebastian Stevenson and I will be your host. You just heard Jonathan Taylor, the masterhead of All Rights, recall what traditions mean to him. Morris dancing is a part of the bigger collections of traditions practiced across European communities. In this program, we closely look at their significance and their place in modern society. It's these very personal, small moments that can make you feel connected to where you live and the people you surround yourself with, even if you are against the idea of traditions. Christmas 2020 has perhaps created an unusual amount of solidarity this year. We are together by reducing the size of the we Ideally, to just me. 
Christmas gives us a moral booster during this dark time. It has a societal function. But in the Basque region, which encircles the south of France and the north of Spain, Christmas is much more than that. The Basque people work hard to sustain their identity and culture. Christmas in the Basque region is a time for people to continue embracing their culture through stories and celebration. One figure from Basque mythology has also been revived and modernized recently. Today, on All Rights, we look at the Basque Christmas figure, Oranzero. With a face covered in charcoal, Oranzero visits Basque towns every year in his traditional attire with a black beret, a barak shoes that twist and wind up over his white socks, all with a pipe in hand. During the winter festivities, Oranzero can often be found greeting folks from the streets as he marches and parades, often to this customary Oranzero tune. Maria Arosa Salaningi, illustrator and producer of All Rights, tells us about the origins of Oranzero. One day, Maria was speaking to her mother and learned that in her childhood, she didn't celebrate Oranzero. For me, he represented a Basque Father Christmas because he obviously brought me presents for Christmas. But when I was actually speaking to my mum every summer about Basque traditions and she told me that when she was little, she didn't receive presents from Olenzero, but from the three wise men, and that Olenzero for her didn't really exist until he was introduced to her when she was about 10 or 11 years old. So that would be the late 70s or the early 80s. Right. Why was that? Yes, so Olenzero is dressed in very old clothes, and the song lyrics that you sing, the Olenzero songs, they refer to old traditions and living in a farmhouse with an open fire and all of these ancient things for, childlike, for a childish mind. So for me, it was always an old Basque tradition, but actually he was reintroduced into Basque tradition in the 70s, where he became part of the Basque nationalist cause. I was interested in it too, so much that I spoke to two experts in Olencero, Xavier Martinez. <laughs> And I told Salaberria. They both are presidents of associations promoting and organizing the celebrations around Olenzero. So they told me that in order to understand Olenzero, you have to go far back, pre Roman eras. They told me that Olenzero is, in fact, an ancient pagan tradition, but that it has changed a lot. Over the thousands of years it's existed in Basque culture. So originally, Olenzero wasn't a person, but a metaphor for light. And he is in fact the only character from Basque mythology also present in Basque culture. He represents the winter solstice, the longest night of the year, after which the, great, the days gradually become longer. And so the pagan celebration was a celebration of spring, which was coming. And if you look at the name Olenzero in Basque language, on ansaro means actually towards better times or towards good times. So the name itself has that idea of hope and light coming in the midst of dark and cold winter. So then you have this figure that does have quite a, a legacy. 
but he was obviously revived very, very recently. So how is he celebrated today? Today, he still has some of the ancient connotations of that duality between darkness and light. But as I said before, now he is a personification of the metaphor of winter solstice. And because it's such an abstract idea, you can have different interpretations. And nowadays, you can have a puppet, a man dressed up as Olencero, but in some parts of Pamplona, for instance, in the north of Spain, you have women dressing up as Olencero, which can be quite controversial as well. So I spoke to um, Ladis Atrustegui, who is the mayor of Lisaca, a town in northern Navarra. Para mí la tradición o ese día es un poco and he told me that his town is actually the first town where the modern interpretation of the tradition came to be in 1959 um, as a part of a bit of a rebellion against the Spanish dictatorship as well. It was a celebration of past tradition, which under the under Franco's dictatorship was prohibited. So there's a rebellious connotation attached to the character. And what they do is they celebrate a yearly competition of Olenzero puppets and the best group with the best puppet gets to perform in the parade. So I guess the the question that's kind of begging to ask is why was he revived and why was Olenzero introduced in the, in the 70s and 80s? With the death of Franco in 1975, people who had previously been oppressed under his dictatorship were suddenly free from that oppression. Sadly, that freedom led to a group of people wanting to establish themselves as independent. And so Basque nationalist movement grew, and that's where the political group ETA originated from. They used Basque culture as a whole in order for Basques to identify solely as Basque and not as Spanish. So it was a way to differentiate themselves from Spanish people. And so Olencero, alongside other past traditions, was revived for the nationalist cause, but it also took on its own life, in a way. Thank you, Mireya. Thank you, Sebastian. To fully understand the recent history of Basque separatism and the push to protect and promote their traditions, I think we have to look back at the Franco dictatorship in Spain, which actively suppressed Basque culture for about 40 years. Courtney Anderson takes a closer look at the history in order to see its impact on today. Francisco Franco was a Spanish general who ruled over Spain for 36 years, from 1939 until his death in 1975. During the Spanish Civil War that erupted in 1936, Franco was able to unify the fascists and the monarchists, therefore gaining the support of the Catholic Church. By linking these two groups together, the nationalist faction was created, and they were able to win the Civil War in 1939. Shortly after, they established a dictatorship with Franco as the head of government and the commander-in-chief. Franco began setting up a secret police, banning labor unions, and condoned all other religions except for Catholicism. 
He further repressed other cultures within Spain by banning local languages from being spoken outside the home, including Basque, Galician, and Catalan, and even outlawed newborns' names in those languages. And in 1959, under the oppression of Francoist policies, the armed separatist group ETA was founded to establish an independent Basque region and to promote the traditional culture. ETA launched several violent campaigns, including an attempt to derail a train transporting politicians, and later on the assassination of Prime Minister Admiral Luis Carrero Blanco in vengeance for the deaths of Basque fighters. But throughout the 1960s and 70s, Franco became more withdrawn from politics, and the state began to loosen its control over the press and political dissent. In 1975, Franco died and left Juan Carlos de Borbon to be proclaimed as king. Juan Carlos helped transition the country to a constitutional monarchy. Through a controlled process over the next few years, Spain gradually reinstated a democracy after Franco's death. Throughout the course of Franco's reign, an estimated 200,000 to 400,000 people died while tens of thousands of others were imprisoned for their political beliefs. And after his death, many of the oppressed cultures began to reaffirm their traditions and languages. Meanwhile, the nation began to reintegrate into modern European politics and change over into a democracy. His legacy remains controversial within Spain, as the division still exists between some Franco supporters and for those who want reparations for the travesties that played out during his 40-year rule. After Franco died, the tradition of Oranzero returned, but not like it was before the 40-year dictatorship. Since the 70s, Oranzero has taken on a figure of a jolly man who gives gifts to children. So how did Oranzero get revived, and where does he stand in Basque society today? Marguerite Bullen is a professor of anthropology and a lecturer at the University of the Basque Country. She studies Basque culture through a feminist lens. She tells me about how Orenzero was revived in the 20th century. I think we have to situate Orenzero in the context now of the Franco's dictatorship and post-dictatorship. So we have 40 years when the Basque language is banned, when most of the Basque traditions, dance, customs, music are all banned, although in the latter part of the dictatorship, there's much more protest and many things continued, no, underground. So things like not only the Olencido, but some carnivals like in Tolosa in Guipuzcoa, the carnivals were able to keep going because they said it was their town's patron saints festival and that was allowed. So there were kind of all sorts of ways that people managed to keep Basque customs going but also this helps us see why it was so important after Franco, so from 1975, in the years after the dictatorship, after Franco's death, to revive things that would distinguish the Basque people who want, you know, had freedom to express themselves, they had freedom for their language, so there was a lot of effort put into recuperating, reviving and strengthening particular customs. And so here the the whole idea of the Olencero fits into that. So it's not something that suddenly emerges in those years. It's, um, as I said, it was at the beginning of the 20th century that many of these writers and anthropologists talked about the Olencero and even Marido Mingi. 
but it's later now that they want to strengthen and revive things that fit into the Basque cultural scene. And there, I think it's interesting to fit that into to today. So I think today, not everybody in the who lives in the Basque country celebrates the Olincido. So in different families, the Olincido might come. The children might be told that the Olincido is bringing presents on the night of the 24th. Of course, we have to think that on the French Basque side in Iparralde, they have a Father Christmas figure. So un Père Noël. So maybe the two of them coincide, come together. On the Spanish side of the Basque country, there isn't that Father Christmas figure. So the Father Christmas is easily replaced by the Olencida on the 24th because the Spanish Christmas figures are, of course, the kings who don't get here till the 6th. So we have really this multiple panoply of Christmas figures um, and depending on people's family traditions, depending on where they come from or where they were brought up, depending on their where they live, because the Olincido tradition is stronger in some villages than in others, and perhaps depending on their position vis-a-vis Basque culture and whether they want to celebrate some people definitely don't want to celebrate the kings because they identify that very much as a Spanish tradition and so their focus is on the Olincido as something that's Basque, that's something that is theirs, that's something that represents their culture and I think that all fits into this context of reconstructing Basque culture with references that um, people feel to be theirs, rooted in their history, their myths, their legends, and yet capable of of transforming itself and being transformed and modernizing even to the point of introducing that female figure of Marie Domingue as um, a gesture towards equality. So I guess we've maybe given the impression of a very divided, divisive kind of thing, but I suppose you've lived there for about 30 years there. And I don't know if from your experience of, of celebrating Christmas in the Basque region, that it is as divisive as we're making it sound, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It, like, is it is a kind of more respectful and convivial that maybe some families maybe celebrate Olenzero and some celebrate Three Wise Kings and it's kind of left at, at peace or or can it be kind of, you know, you, you don't uh, you don't associate with people who celebrate Olenzero? Uh, no, I don't think it's divisive at all. It's not a. It's not like an issue of social conflict where people wouldn't talk to each other because one was celebrating the Olencida and one was celebrating the kings. No, I think it's much more fluid than all that. And I think that perhaps even though you don't celebrate Olencida in the sense that you're going to tell the version of the kings to your children at home and the Day of the Kings, so the 6th of January is more important to you. You're probably still going to go out on the 24th of December. This year, I guess we won't be able to, but you would still go out and enjoy the carols because they sing the Olincido songs. They make figures. People would still, even though they celebrate the kings and they wouldn't celebrate the Olincido at home that night, they would still go and enjoy the representation of it. And I think the same way with the the other way around, but perhaps people who feel more strongly about the Basque version 
and I don't know that I haven't got any statistics for this. Again, there's not there's not an antagonism about celebrating the kings, but there is perhaps an less of a custom of going to see the kings if they're people who prefer the Olentzero, if that makes sense. <laughs> This revived tradition is constantly evolving and even interacting with other kinds of myths. What you are hearing is a video which captures one Oranzero organizer creating a battle scene between Oranzero and Darth Vader in a town square. From a figure of light to a figure of fear, and finally to a figure of Basque Christmas who fights Darth Vader, tradition never really stays the same. And in 2020 it has had to change a lot. So what is Christmas in the Basque region going to look like this year? In the French part of the Basque, Atsol Salabaria Nongi from Orlenzer and Langunac tells us what they are going to do. So, I will focus on the French Basque country, Iparalde, since we're in the French part. We know that most parades are going to be cancelled, but we're still going to go into schools. We don't want the children to be without Olanzero. Olanzero is an important moment and important time for children too. It's a moment to salvage or distinguish our culture from commercial connotations. And so Olanzero has to come. As of now, we've told everybody yes, but if it's not possible, it's going to be complicated. But we would like to go to every school. And from what we know at the moment, we're going to go to every school in Imperalde. And in the Spain part, Xavier Martinez Avala from Asociación de Amigos de Oranzero. So what we will do is, he's coming, but it's the one from last year. We are going to retransmit everything from last year, we've got it right? And so in order to attract people, what we are going to do is broadcasting some image of Alancero on the screen and so people who see him can call in and say, I've seen him. And so we try to recreate a little bit the spirit of Christmas. When that broadcast finished, the Pamplona Yasu school is going to sing the Hooray Hooray or some other Alancero song. And we will finish off with the band La Pamplonesa, who will play the Messiah song and the Hooray Hooray. And that's what we are going to be doing on that day. You have been listening to All Rights. It has been produced by Courtney Anderson in France, Emma van Heijwijk in Germany, Maria Elosa Saloningi in Spain, Jonathan Taylor in the UK, and Sebastian Stevenson in Ireland. This podcast is supported by Are We Europe? Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for our episodes coming out next year. We'll dive into more traditions across Europe, including curious customs like the whipping of women in Slovakia to the production of foie gras in France. We'll be back with more. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and a happy vaccinated, socially intimate 2021. You like listening to our stories? Tune in to Are We Europe wherever you get your earful of audio. Don't forget to sign up as a member at areweeurope.com slash member.